Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Buenos días. Uh, hoy vamos a estar en Ecclesiastes 5. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Ecclesiastes 5, del 1 al 7. Cuando fueres a la casa de Dios, guarda tu pie. Y acércate más para oír que para ofrecer el sacrificio de los necios, porque no saben que hacen mal. No te desprisa con tu boca, ni tu corazón te apresure a proferir palabra delante de Dios. Porque Dios está en el cielo y tú sobre la tierra. Por tanto, sean pocas tus palabras. Porque de la mucha ocupación viene el sueño, y de la multitud de las palabras, la voz del necio. Cuando a Dios haces promesa, no tardes en cumplirla porque Él no se complace en los insensatos. Cumple lo que prometes. Mejor es que no prometas, y no que prometas, y no cumplas. No dejes que tu boca te haga pecar, ni digas delante del ángel que fue ignorancia. ¿Por qué harás que Dios se enoje a causa de tu voz y que destruya la obra de tus manos? Donde abundan los sueños, también abundan las vanidades y las muchas palabras, mas tú teme a Dios. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you can be seated. Good morning. Oh, we can do better than that. Good morning. A couple of huge things happening this week. Uh, obviously, Thanksgiving is Thursday, so hopefully you're thankful. I just want to let you know, if you have nowhere to go for Thanksgiving, you need a place to go, you want to eat with some fellow people, um, there are a lot of locations for you to go. So you can come see me, and I will ship you in the right direction. You can come to our house, but there are other places that you can go. We want to make sure that nobody's by themselves. Um, the food will be awesome, so I'd encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, also, the World Cup starts today, so it's the world's largest sporting event, right? Go Team USA, which isn't really going to happen, so I'm cheering for them until they're done, and then we'll move on. Um, all right, so, <laughs> but support your team. Um, we are beginning an int- Sorry, an interesting section in the book of Ecclesiastes. And as we've been moving through the book, if you've been following along or you've been here, you know this has been rough, honestly. It's, the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of an open door for our emotions to process a lot of things that we've been through, things that we know that could be coming, things in the past, how we want to live in the future, so on and so forth. Um, It's interesting here how Solomon's going to kind of make this shift, and he's going to provide us an opportunity to help us understand what it looks like to actually worship the Lord. Um, He's going to spend a lot of time talking about what the fear of the Lord looks like, and so I want to start this way. I, I grew up in a generation that was attempting to eliminate high church, okay, So that has nothing to do with um, smoking anything. High church, um, (laughs) high church is this, if you've not heard of it before, is this um, intense liturgy, okay? So you can probably think of other religious belief systems or you come from a maybe background in Christianity um, where you've gone to a church and it's very formal, It's the best way I can say it. The liturgy's there. It's very, um, the idea is to walk in. You can walk into these cathedrals, 
and you're looking at the excellence of what people have built, and it's supposed to take you to this place where you begin to think about the Lord. And it's pretty awesome when you think about it. It's good. High church has strong liturgy. I remember growing up in a church where, I mean, you wore your best dress every single Sunday that you showed up, right? It was a big deal. My mom, I remember being like six years old, and my mom would put me in this like little suit thing, right? And and I would be there, and we would go to a thing called Sunday school, which many of you have never heard of before, right? And Sunday school was like, it was the church before church, right? And some of you are like, wow, that's awful. Why would you ever do that? But it was the church before church where you would show up in like your age group, and then you would go through like Bible stories. And it was typically run, by my memory, by an older lady who was really cranky and mean, and, but loved kids, right? And was like, you know, you have to do this. And I remember like corporal punishment was still there and I was always the troublemaker. I remember all of that. And then we would, everyone, everyone would go into, it doesn't matter how old you were, you would go into the, what we called big church, right? And you would go into this sanctuary and it was, as a kid, it was hard, but you learned to sit and and my parents would be like, just sit there and don't say anything, right? And oftentimes there may be something for me to color or whatever as a little kid. And, and you went in and you experienced this high church, this liturgy, this, this thing, okay? And um, it f- could feel staunch at times. There's this, there's this feeling if you've walked into something like that or you've been in a church that is kind of high church, You'll walk in and you feel, you might feel the Lord, but you almost feel like the Lord's unapproachable. Like, okay, in order for me to approach the Lord, it's going to have to be through something else because walking in here makes me feel really unholy. And I'm just trying to help you grasp it. There's nothing wrong with this. In fact, it's important, and Solomon's going to talk about that. My generation was attempting to get rid of all of that. And I would say it went the wrong direction like too far, right? So I remember um, as I was getting older, like high school groups, there really was no difference between the youth group that I grew up in and going to my high school. It didn't feel like. We would throw in some prayer and maybe a a simple Bible lesson, but the, the push was we just wanna make sure that the rest of the world doesn't think that Christians are weird. So we want them to understand that we can be cool, and we can have fun, all true, we are kind of cool, and we can have fun, right? And we're attempting to make ourselves look as much like the culture as possible, and it birthed this thing called the seeker-sensitive movement, where the idea was we're going to put on a show, and hopefully that's gonna attract people in, and in the midst of that show, we will present the gospel and hopefully they'll come to Christ. And it got pushed so far, there were things like, I remember going to a worship service once where the band was on stage and there were like beach balls going around, right? And I went to a service once where the guy was, guy was shot out of a cannon, and I'm like, this is insane. And I've been to services where like a pastor rode a motorcycle up onto the platform to preach. And I'm like, okay, there's lines here somewhere, Right? How much show does the Lord need? And this becomes the question. Like, 
I think that what Solomon's going to attempt to do, and my guess is, if you grew up in church world, you know the story about Jesus coming in and cleansing the temple, right? This is where Jesus displays like his full righteous anger, where he makes a whip out of cords, and he's driving the money changers out. And basically, I think, for our context, what he was doing was he was taking that full-blown, it was like, okay, you guys are launching people out of cannons at the temple, right? The beach balls are flying. There's a line that's been crossed here, and we need to bring you back. And so I think what Solomon is doing is he's looking at his culture, and he's saying, there's some lines that have been crossed here, and we need to understand that, yes, we know that God is approachable through Jesus, and only through Jesus. We'll get there. But we also need to understand that we're talking about the creator of the world. And there's some respect that has to be placed upon that relationship and that creator. And we've got to be able to find this balance between the two. So here's what I'm going to suggest as we go through this. My suggestion is this. You're probably naturally, you know, very rarely do we ever find that middle ground point and stay there. We typically begin to lean one way or another, right? And so we need these little corrections to help us kind of get back to center. So my hunch is that everyone sitting here is probably somewhere in the, somewhere ranging between, okay, I want this seeker sensitive, I, I'm, I'm longing for Jesus to feel like my homeboy, right? And if you've seen that t-shirt, that might be pushing it a little bit, right? Verse, I'm dealing with the creator of the world, and I'm bringing him my issues, and I believe that Jesus is everything, and I only know him through, I only know my creator through Jesus and what he's done, and there's some respect there that needs to be engaged. So, as you process, like, which one are you leaning toward the most? Um, if you don't know, think about the church service you're currently sitting in, right? Because we're going to lean as well, because we're a group of people. And I don't know which way we're leaning right now. You're, the pastor is wearing a USA jersey. So maybe toward one direction, right? Maybe. Um, what is it when you come to church that you're really looking for? Is it to be entertained? Is it to walk out feeling good about yourself? Is it, hey, I just want to see some friends and some people that I've been around a while? I mean, all of those things are fine, but is it also a realization that you're coming with a body of believers who profess Jesus as Lord and you're here to hear from God himself. So where's that balance? So this is where Solomon begins. So if you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we're going to work our way through this. Verse 1, he begins with this, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, we're in the Old Testament here. We know that the specific house of God he's referring to is the temple. Okay, so the temple, if you haven't grown up in church world, was the place where the Shekinah glory of God 
was revealed the most on earth. Okay, God is everywhere. We know that. Um, David himself even said, man, if I find myself in the depths of Sheol, you're even there, right? However, God can manifest himself and his presence in certain areas to a greater degree, right? So when the temple was built, the Ark of the Covenant was there, and it was those glory days. We know that the scripture says the Shekinah of glory of God came, and it was basically his, it was symbolic or actually where his presence was on earth the most. And it was a holy place. If you, if you remember the story about Moses and when he approaches this burning bush and the Lord says to him, the first thing he says to him is take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. Why was that holy ground? It wasn't holy ground because there was this miracle happening, this bush. It had nothing to do with that. It was holy ground because God, in that moment, his presence was there at its highest level, and wherever God is, is pure holiness. And there's some respect that has to be placed there. And what Solomon is reminding people is, when you walk into that temple, you need to remember that this place represents who God is. It's your opportunity to connect with him. Now, things have changed a bit. You know, you're not in a holy temple here, but you are. Um, Church at the well meets inside of a coffee house, which we could call holy, right? But what makes it holy? It's that if you know Christ, you are, the Holy Spirit embodies you. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we collectively come together as a body of believers, the Holy Spirit living in us. It's fascinating to process this, to think that if you know Jesus and the Holy Spirit has entered you and remains in you, then you are the temple of God wherever you go. But there's something special about the body of Christ coming together where our spirit resonates together because it's the same spirit and we worship God together. And in those moments, I guess we can say, wow, God is represented strongly in our presence. So he's saying, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts when you come into these spaces. Remember what you're coming for. Let's keep going. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. The worst thing that Americans are known for is listening. We always want to talk, right? If you if you are going to have a conversation with someone, typically we all have something to say. We all want to express what we have to say. We, oftentimes the complaint is, I just don't feel like I'm heard. We hear that in relationships. We like to talk. The, the culture of the United States has generated people who love to talk. We love to explain who we are. Social media is the perfect example of that, right? Let me, nobody really cares what you ate for lunch. 
but we believe that people care that they care that what we ate for lunch. So we'll take pictures of it and we'll post it, right? Because we want to be known. We want to be heard. We think that everything that we do is important and needs to be expressed. It's who we are. Good, bad, and different. It's there, right? We always want to talk. It's interesting that Solomon, in the midst of saying, when you go to the temple, when you are in a a sense, coming together to worship the Lord, our first posture should not be to speak, but to listen. To stop. To hear what the Lord has to say. Right? It's, it's something that becomes a discipline. Because, once again, we don't like this. We don't typically like to listen. In fact, it can be insulting sometimes when somebody just goes, just stop and listen. Because what they're ultimately saying is, you're not getting it. You don't understand. Right? And I think that's realistic when it comes to, we need to be constantly hearing from the Lord. A prayer life is an amazing thing, but if you were to assess your prayer life, how much time in your prayer life do you spend listening versus talking? For those of you who, you're like, well, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to listen? I can tell you, I've never heard the Lord's voice audibly. At least I don't think so. If I have, I might have freaked out a little bit, right? Um, but I do hear the Lord. He can speak to me through other people. He speaks to me through his word. He speaks to me as we meditate on his word. He convicts my heart. He encourages me. His Holy Spirit that lives inside of each one of us encourages us to live out the gospel, to fight against our natural desires of sin. All of that is the Lord speaking. For those of you who are Christ followers and actually have the Holy Spirit living in you, you know this. You might say, man, I feel like I'm never hearing from the Lord. But let me just give you a quick example that you'll definitely resonate with. It's that moment when you have a choice to make and there's something inside of you going, I know what choice I'm supposed to make. I know what choice would be glorifying to the Lord. I don't want to make that choice. There's another voice, right, that's going, here's what I want to do. But it's not natural for there to be the opposite voice. <laughs> That's hearing from the Lord. Whether or not we obey the Lord is a different thing. But Solomon's saying, are you even hearing? Do you even just stop for a moment? One of the greatest gifts that the Lord gave mankind that we take advantage of and just ignore was the sabbath right i mean the lord says work six days and work work hard you are made to work enjoy your work we've talked about this in this book already right enjoy your work work hard but there's a day when you're to rest there's a day when you're to stop 
And why, why, like, what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is to go, what, yeah, my life is busy. My, my job may be good. I may even be using my job for the glory of Jesus. I may be living out the gospel in every way possible. However, sometimes even in the midst of ministry, we can lose sight of who we're doing it for. And the Sabbath was an intention to reset. To say, this is a day of listening. This is a day of evaluation. When we, before we take communion, Pastor Matt will say, hey, just take a moment and just process. And we only give you like 45 seconds. It's impossible to process that long, right? But hopefully the Holy Spirit is convicting you of something. But imagine if you took a whole day for that every week. Imagine what would change. Lord, today is a day where I'm going to rest and I'm going to listen. It would change everything. This was supposed to be the way that it was supposed to work, right? That's why the Lord gave it as a command. Rest, listen. The motivation behind this is Solomon said, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. This is perspective. Uh, I've seen images, right, where like they'll zoom in really close, and then it's like a game where they're like, tell me what this is, right? And it can look like something really weird, or you're trying to guess because it's really close, and then it backs out, and you're way off, right? It was like, um, they zoom in on like, I know, a part of a bot, like an eye, and it's like, whoa, that's incredible, and then it backs out, and it's an animal of some kind, right? And you're like, whoa, I didn't I didn't have the perspective to see exactly what this was because I was too close to the situation. One of the things we have to remember is that, I'm going to use Solomon's words, we're on earth. Our perspective is minimal. We make everything such a huge deal. Everything. Right? I mean, it doesn't take much for us to go, oh, my life is miserable. Oh, wow. I, you know, it, it just, we're, we're just a bundle of emotions that are constantly going. We get stressed. We get overwhelmed. We grieve. We hurt. All, nothing wrong with it. But oftentimes, what we lack is the perspective from a heavenly position. I mean, if you really process, if you've been walking with the Lord very long, the gr- I, I, I'll tell you your story in this because it happens to everybody, right? You grow closest to the Lord when you're going through the most difficult things. Or you grow further away from the Lord when you're going through the most difficult things. When we realize that, oftentimes there's a perspective that can change in us where we'll go, man, when I look at my life and I'm going through the most difficult things and yet... I'm encouraged to lean in him through the body, through the spirit, through, through going to church, whatever it is, I find myself growing closer and closer to the Lord. And then what comes out of that is different. And when I go through that again, I'm, I'm equipped in Christ to handle it better. And you do. And so you get a different perspective the next time you go through it. It's like, wow, Lord, as you're taking me through this again, I'm going to lean into you even more. 
you also get the perspective of going, man, I can help other people who are going through something similar, right? It's fascinating that when you get to that place, you will find yourself at times in your discipleship process saying, I think it's time to go through something hard because I need to grow. That is really anti-American, isn't it? Where we do everything we possibly can to avoid everything that's hard. To actually say to the Lord, in the realization and perspective from a heavenly perspective, I seem to go closer to you when things are hard, and if I want to draw closer to you, what's the ultimate conclusion? Maybe I need to go through something hard right now. It's perspective. The Lord looks at it differently, right? He doesn't work in our same time and space. It's, it's different. I mean, he looks and he says, I care most about your heart. I care most about not the circumstances that you're going through, but how you're choosing to go through those circumstances. It's perspective. And we all get that. I think what Solomon's attempting to do here is he's saying, as you enter the temple, one of the things that we need to be reminded of is that we have a very limited perspective. We're on earth. God's in heaven. Here's the other thing that's going to be a shock to you that I think we can pull from this. We're not God. And as much as we might want to say that we believe that, we don't live that way very often. Right? We want to make our decisions when we want to make them. In fact, every one of us does this, including myself, right? We'll actually get to a place where we want something so bad, we'll literally look God in the face and say, if you won't, I will. If you won't make it happen, I'm going to make it happen. So get on board with what I'm doing because it's going to happen anyway. Who's God in that situation? Well, we're acting like we are, right? We want what we want when we want it. And we live that way. It's a lack of perspective. We, we need to be reminded that we're not God. We're never going to be. Thank God we're not God. Right? I'd make some bad decisions. <laughs> you guys remember the movie Bruce Almighty? So old. Jim Carrey. The most heretical movie ever, but seriously funny. Right? And God gives his powers to a human being, and the decisions he begins to make are horrible. And it impacts so many people in so many negative ways. I remember like there was a scene where he's like, I'm just going to answer yes to everybody's prayer, right? And so somehow, this is so bad, but he computerizes it to where it's like every prayer that's coming in, he just says yes to, right? So now we have issues because we have different people praying different things for different results at the exact same time. Why? Because we all have a little bit different perspective, right? It's interesting since we're kind of moving into the sports world here and the biggest sporting event that the, that the world sees, you literally will have people who are going to be praying that their country wins the World Cup. Right? 
I'm not kidding. I mean, it's, an, it's, it's a religion, all right? So there's going to be people today, right now, going into church with the expectation that their prayer is going to be that the Lord is going to bless their country by having them win the next match. But here's what's fascinating. The opposite is going on in the other country of who they're playing against. Interesting perspective. When we walk into a situation like this where we come to worship the Lord collectively, and I say, what are your expectations? Are your expectations to hear from the Lord? Are your expectations to get a different perspective? Or do you come in with something different? One of the things I'll tell you all the time, I say this all the time, like, people will say, oh, that was a really good sermon. I'm like, I have really good material. And I didn't write it. Like, the reason I go through books of the Bible, one, I think it's correct. And two, it forces you to open your Bible and follow along and make sure that what I'm saying is accurate. I have nothing for you. God's Word does. You, our expectation should be that we come into a place like this and not hear what Kevin has to say, but hear what the Lord has to tell me. That's our expectation. And when we come in with that kind of mindset, Lord, I'm expecting you to speak to my heart, to change my mind, to convict me, to encourage me all at the same time, because I can only come from God. I promise you I cannot convict you and encourage you at the same time. I'm not that talented. But God does it. Isn't that weird? We should. We come. What Solomon is saying is we come with an expectation every time we bring ourselves to the throne room of God to hear from him and from his perspective, not my own. We remove this idea that God's a vending machine and we just pick and choose what we want. We're reminded that he's Lord, he's king, he's creator, he's in control. And the greatest thing I could do is hear from him. Because he knows. So the question is, do we steal that away? And that's something that I can't answer for you. Finishes this section by saying, Therefore let the words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. Have you ever been in those moments where you don't know what to say, so you just say everything? Right? I don't know. If you're watching a rom-com, then some of the, sometimes the rom-coms hit because we experience the same thing. So, you know, as a young high schooler, you walk up to the girl or the, or, or the guy that you've been interested in, and you have this thing planned out that you're going to say, and what comes out is nothing like what you planned. And what comes out is really nothing. You just say everything, right? 
Or if you've been nervous in a job interview before, and all of a sudden you just find yourself blabbing, and you look, you're looking at the person across from you, and you're like, they want me to stop talking, but I can't seem to stop talking. Right? And you just come across as like foolish. It's accurate. How foolish is it to think that we have something to say to the Lord? What do we have to say? I mean, he invites us to speak with him, which means we can speak. Relationships move back and forth. We know we get a relationship with the Lord through the blood of Jesus. But honestly, what do we have to say? What are you going to say that the Lord's going to be surprised by? What are you going to say where he's like, wow, that was impressive. I'm going to tell you right now, the Lord's never been impressed by anything that we've said, ever. He's never gone back and go, whoa, that guy, whoo, that girl is brilliant. He's never said that. He's never like been shocked. The Lord's never looked and went, I didn't see that coming. Wow, what are we going to do now? How do we respond to this? I just wonder what it would look like if the church as a whole understood that we really don't have anything to say except what we hear from Him. I'm really not that important, but I am. You're important enough that Jesus died for you, you're loved, but you're not God. Wouldn't that change some things? It would change your prayer life. It would change the way you worship. It would change the way you view others. And when he's talking here about, we get to the end, he's going to talk about the fear of the Lord. I think one of the major issues is that we don't fear the Lord enough. We don't. Like, when's the last, I mean, Think about the images of Scripture. Isaiah is transported to the throne room of God. Right? And what he sees should scare us to death. It's awesome. It's really the only thing that is awesome. We call other things awesome. But we don't know a word better than awesome. It's awesome. Awe-inspiring. It's terrifying. When Jesus, in his earthly ministry, there were moments where he would reveal who he was in an instant and what happened. People would find themselves falling on their knees. Remember when Jesus was being arrested, right? And they said, are you this person? And he says, I am. And he literally says he's God. And it says that this veil that was covering Jesus was removed just for a moment. And what happened? The soldiers flew backwards. Right? It's fascinating to think that we believe that we're so important that one day we're going to stand before Jesus and give him our complaints. Or make a case for ourselves. Oh Lord, let me tell you what I did for you. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, let me tell you what I did for you. You woke up this morning. There's breath in your lungs. You're not alone. You were adopted into a family. You were blood-bought. You've been blessed.
Don't be too quick to speak. You need to spend some time listening. Then he moves into, we need our words to be few. We need to make sure that we're listening. A major component of worshiping the Lord is hearing from him. And part of me wants to get on a soapbox here. And I, maybe I will for a second. Because oftentimes people will come and say, I don't hear from the Lord. And I'm like, how much time did you spend in the Word this week? None. I don't have time. I'm just going to, listen. He wrote it all down. It's right here. He wrote it. He wrote it so that you can open it any time that you want and hear from the Lord. If your spiritual diet of hearing from the Lord is going to a church service on Sunday and hearing a dirty, rotten sinner like me attempting to explain it to you and that's all you get, you're starving. You're starving. It's not enough. Pastors, priests, whoever's attempting to teach the Word, don't copyright it. It's yours. He gives it to his people as a gift. Read it. If you're not hearing from the Lord, then I'm just going to tell you right now, you're not, you're not reading. Because if you truly read, if you truly take some time to listen, you will hear. It's powerful. All right. There is a moment to speak. Verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. All right, what is he talking about here? Be careful. Be careful what you say to the Lord. All right, so what does a vow look like? Well, back then, all right, Old Testament days, some church history here, we know what went on at the temple was the sacrifice of animals. The law was intense. The whole purpose of the law was to prove that we couldn't do it so that we would hope for the ultimate sacrifice in Christ. So if you're here today and you are attempting to earn your way to a relationship with God, you are attempting to live out the old sacrificial system that cannot save you. It's impossible. You already know that. You already know it. But we keep doing it. You say you're going to live one way, and it doesn't take long, and you're not living that way anymore. You can't even live up to your own standard. Do you know why we put such standards on other people? Because we figure, since I can't live up to my own standard, I'm going to put you to a standard that you can't live up to as well, and then we're going to hold the, we can both be miserable. Right? We can't even live up to the standard that we put on ourselves. It doesn't work that way. The point of the Old Testament, the point of the sacrificial system, was to show the holiness of God the need that we have for him and the fact that we can't earn it. But even in the midst of that, what he's referencing is people would come with sacrifices attempting to fulfill the law, but their hearts were not in the sacrifice. I'm just going to go through the motions. Okay, I know I did this wrong, but I don't really want to stop doing it, but I also know that because of the culture I live in, I've got to offer a sacrifice so that the Lord will forgive me, so I'll offer the sacrifice, but I'm going to keep doing it anyway. Does this sound familiar? It should, because it's all of us. What does a vow look like today? Well, we still make vows, right? If you've ever been married, 
you've made a vow. You've told your spouse that you're going to be together, right? Till death do us part. And oftentimes those vows get broken, right? We know what it's like to make vows. We know what it's like to break vows. If you've ever been a member of a church, hopefully you've signed a covenant, <laughs> right? Say, this is the church I'm going to come to. This is what I'm expecting of my elders. This is what I'm expecting of the congregation. This is my part. You, you make a vow, and you say, I'm going to fulfill that vow. If you've ever signed a work contract, you've made a vow. If you've ever opened a credit card, you've made a vow. If you've ever purchased a house or a car, you made a vow. Because you're literally signing something that says, I'm going to take that and give you this. That's a vow. So we understand what this is. What Solomon's warning us is, careful what you vow to the Lord. And if you do make a vow, don't delay in repaying it. Now, this isn't cutting deals with God. That's not the point here. This isn't, God, if you will do this, then I will do this. Though in Scripture, we do see that sometimes. And if we're all really honest with ourselves, we do do that. I mean, think probably this week at some point you went, God, could you just do this? I find myself, and I think it's a holy prayer because it's, I'm hoping, it, Jesus, today's going to be a tough day. It would be a great day for you to come back. <laughs> right? I don't want to go through this conversation. Let's just come back today. That would be great. Right? I mean, it's a holy prayer in the aspect that I'm anticipating Jesus coming back, but my motivation for him coming back isn't all that holy. It's avoidance. Right? But we do that. We, we want to deal with God. If you will, I will. And now there's moments in your Christian walk where that can actually be beneficial. Right? But I think from our context, what we're looking at here is if you, you've made a vow. You made a vow with the Lord when you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. You made a vow with the Lord when you said, I'm going to let this great exchange transpire. What's the vow you made? I accept your gift. I'm now in your family, and I vow to represent you well. That's a vow. Right? So how are we doing with it? It's a loaded question. We don't need to make other vows with the Lord per se. We have these, like we've, 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 the agreement's there. It's what has the Lord asked us to do? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind through the power of Jesus and to love each other as ourself. To live out the gospel in everything that we do. To not have anything in our life that's separated from it. This is a one of the coolest definitions of discipleship I've ever heard, and it's very impactful, for me at least it was. And somebody described it when I was younger as, all discipleship is, is allowing the gospel to speak into the areas of your life where you haven't placed it yet. And here's the thing, we all have them. We have them. And they change. It's frustrating to me. I'll go... I allowed the gospel to speak into this area of my life yesterday, but for some reason I'm not allowing it to speak into my life today. 
and it worked yesterday, but I'm stubborn and I'm a mess and I want what I want what I want it. Discipleship ultimately is just allowing the gospel to speak, fulfilling that vow in every area of our life. So you want to grow in the Lord? You want to be sanctified in the Lord? We identify the areas of our life where the gospel isn't present and we allow the Holy Spirit to put the gospel there. And do you know what happens in that process? You get more joy. It's fascinating in the Christian life that the more we release to the Lord, the happier and more joyful we get. It's unbelievable. So discipleship is also a letting go. Right? It's not let go, let God. I don't really like that. It sounds excuse. It, but it is. It's letting go and then applying the gospel. Let go, let God sounds like, well, I don't have to do anything. You do have to do something. Right? So when you vow, a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. Verse 5. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. I love this because it's practical. Okay, let's just say you went and bought a car. Dream car, whatever it is. You pick, I don't know, maybe it's not a car. It's something. And you're like, I can't afford this. It's going to have to be financed. You go in. You sign the paperwork. You put down your down payment. They hand you the keys. You drive off. Music's blaring, you're happy, you're happy for the month, and then the next thing you know, there's a bill that shows up in the mail, and the joy seems to fade a little bit, and you see what you signed. And then you, in, the, in a moment of panic, you're like, I can't afford this. So you go back to the dealer, and you hand him the paperwork and go, I made a mistake. And you know what they're going to say? Sorry. That ain't going to cut it. You've still got to pay what you owe. <laughs> right? Like, there has to be a payment. It has to happen. You vowed it. You signed the contract. You can't get out of it. We can't do that with the Lord. We don't live our lives and go, I mean, there's so many, so much application to this, it's unbelievable. It's it's moments even when like we have vowed to live for the Lord and we sin and then try to tell the Lord, well, we just made a mistake. Do you know why we sin? Because we don't hate sin enough. I don't. I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't. I don't hate it enough. I want to. But I don't. Dirty, rotten sinner, saved by grace. Living in a sin-cursed body in a sin-cursed world. Right? I don't hate it enough. If I hated it, I wouldn't do it. But it's fascinating that oftentimes the Lord will say, don't do this, and I'll choose to do it. And then I get convicted of it. Instead of repentance, do you know what I do? Oh, it was a mistake. God's like, no. It was a choice. And what you did is why Jesus had to die. And you can repent. Repent. And we can turn to Jesus, and we can move on. But let's not call it a mistake. You follow? I mean, there are mistakes. 
right? Mistakes happen. We do make mistakes. There are, there are things where it's like, oh man, bad communication here. Oh, I didn't see that happening. Oh, mistake. Not every mistake is wrapped in sin. But when we sin, we don't call it a mistake. It's sin, right? The wages of sin is death. We know that as a result of our sin, we owe a death penalty. We are never going to get out of that. Never. It's always going to be that way. The choice, if you want to call it a choice, is you can pay the death penalty or you can accept Jesus' death penalty for you. Regardless, there's a debt that has to be paid. You cannot get out of it. We made the decisions. There's ramifications for the decisions. Penalty's death. It works, you know, across the board. We can apply this in any way that we want. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. The whole point of what Solomon's trying to get to here is, I think, first, he's saying when you, it, do you have a healthy fear of the, of the Lord? Like, if you're leaning more toward this, what I described at first in the, you know, maybe low church or um, Jesus is my friend, not my king. Right? There's a difference there. He's also your friend, but he's your king. Right? If you're leaning more toward this, I would say what draws you back is to remember that you're dealing with the creator of the world. And he's not safe. Right? Um, if you've ever read anything by C.S. Lewis, so he wrote this thing called the Chronicles of Narnia. And the, Jesus is represented by this lion named Aslan. Right? And one of the, the quotes in the book, uh, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, is you've got these children that are in Narnia and they're asking about Aslan. And they're like, is he safe? And, he's, <laughs> and the answer is, he's a lion. He's not safe, but he's good. Right? Somebody remembered the quote. There you go. <laughs> so I, I think that's fair. I think... If we're going to have a healthy fear of God, we have to understand that He's good. But I don't know that He's safe. God created great white sharks. That scares me. I'm scared to death of snakes. I don't know why. I'd rather face a bear than a snake. Okay? I think it's biblical. We'll go to Genesis 3 and just claim it's <laughs> biblical. Right? Stinking snakes. But, I, it's fascinating that I can be, I can have a healthier fear of snakes than I can of God at times. 
But God's the one that created the snake. God created all those things that creep you out. Right? Like, it's great to say God is love because he is, but you realize that God is also just and scary. He's good. But to respect and fear a being that can say, giraffe, and it exists... That's scary. People say often, oh, I want to meet an angel someday. And I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. If an angel reveals itself to you, I know how you're going to respond. You're going to freak out. They're scary. They're scary. They don't look like little cherubs. <laughs> They're scary. What goes on that we don't grasp is intense and scary. There's stories in Scripture about the spiritual battles that are happening in this room right now that we can't see. That's scary. There's a respect and a fear that we have to put and constantly be reminded of that our Creator is capable of doing. You want to see miracles... We want to see the Lord move. Well, we need to remember that we're actually talking and asking for miracles from the individual that can do it. There's a fear there. It has to be. If you're leaning, here's the other thing, if you're leaning more toward, I just fear God and feel like I can't approach Him, then you also have an unhealthy view of God. Or you don't know Jesus. One of the two. Okay? Your only access to God is through Christ. That's it. You only get one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. No one. One way. Jesus, the blood of Christ. He's the only one that's paid the death penalty for you. So if you don't know Jesus, let me explain. You should fear the Father. I mean, better preachers than me have preached these hellfire and brimstone sermons, right, that are like, you do need to fear the Father. That's real. And you have no access to your Creator without the blood of Jesus. Right? But if you know Jesus, and you still feel this distance, you're addicted to high church, you refuse to have this personal relationship, then you need to rem be reminded consistently that yes, we fear God, but He loves you, and He cares for you, and He died for you. Your, your access to God is through nothing but Christ. It's not through a sanctuary. It's not through another person. It's not through a pastor. It's not through a priest. It's not through your grandmother. It's, it's re being reminded that what Jesus did was both corporate and personal. But it's that personal component that it was your sin that put him there. It has to be personal. And when it becomes personal... 
then you're able to actually embrace what the gift that he's actually given you is. Right? When you sit back and say, Jesus didn't just die for the church. Jesus didn't just die so that I can walk into a building and fear him. I need to have a healthy fear of the Lord, but Jesus died so I can have access to my creator. Jesus died so I'm reconciled. Jesus died and gives me the ability to actually pray and hear from my creator. Jesus died so that my life has purpose. Jesus died so I can be part of his family. I don't know which direction you guys lean. And I can tell you in my life, I've had both. I feel like it from day to day, potentially. And if I'm as straightforward with you as I can, I try to be, as a human being, there are moments when I feel distant from the Lord. And I have to be reminded that if I'm feeling distant from the Lord because I know Jesus, it's not Him that's moved, it's me. He's always there. He's always in the same spot. He's always present here. If I'm praying and it feels like my prayers are hitting the ceiling, that's on me, not on him. So something has to change. Either I'm leaning too far into, it's, it's like the father figure, right? Everybody's dad messed you up, okay? I, I get it. Um, I, I, I'm sure some way that I have messed my kids up like that they're going to have to get therapy for later, right? Or they're getting it now and I don't know it, <laughs> right? But it's like that father that's over-demanding that you fear so much you can't approach. I told, you know, so my testimony, my dad was a police officer. There was no communication. He only knew how to inter- interrogate, right? So I went to my mom when I wanted to talk. So, but when I needed protection, I'd go to my dad. But I felt he was unapproachable, right? Or then some of you have that dad who's like so approachable, but he would never protect you, right? Whatever that is, whatever that looks like for you. Oftentimes, however we kind of view that father figure, we project onto God himself, right? And we have to get over it because that's not, our dad is not God, Thank God, right? We don't compare God to that. He's the perfect father. He protects you. He died for you. He loves you. But he's also just and glorious and dangerous and all-powerful and all-knowing and to be feared. And it's the balance of those two things that creates the healthy living, living, healthily living out the gospel the way that we're supposed to. So the question is, what needs to change? Where are you leaning heavy into one area and missing out on the other? Are you in this circumstance where you're just constantly in fear of God? Some of you will attempt to prevent a relationship with God because you'll say something like he would never take me as I am if you only knew what I did you would have no idea 
So let me explain this to you. God will take you exactly as you are. But he loves you enough that he won't keep you that way. He will change you. He will change you. And if you're not changing, then I don't know that you know him. He'll take you exactly as you are. That doesn't just go for those who have never accepted Christ as Lord. That goes for his family as well. Because we tend to be oftentimes the really odd cousin who's disobedient and doesn't want to do what we're supposed to do, and he'll still take you exactly as you are. But if you'll let him, he won't leave you that way. He won't. He'll always provide the grace to allow you to live a life that's honoring Jesus for his glory and our joy. We've got to find this balance. So what needs to change? If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that is your application. That's what has to transpire. You have no access to God without Him. You have to give your life to Him. You have to. The life that you're living is going to stay in this constant cycle until you do. And in order to do that, it's not... You don't have to do anything magical. All you have to do is take all the trust and the faith that you're putting in yourself or whatever it is that you think is going to save you or give you favor in God and put it all on Jesus. If that's you today, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, Talk to somebody, right? You can come talk to me if you want, but it doesn't have to be me. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, do you know Jesus? And if they say yes, say, can we chat? I have some questions. Let's talk. For those of you who know Christ, we need a healthy fear of we need a healthy fear of the Lord. We also need to understand that He's good and that He loves you. And if we're not walking that balance, then we're missing. And Pastor Solomon would say, "What needs to change?" If you're not sure, how'd you walk in here today? What needs to be different about how you leave? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that you give us in speaking to us clearly. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, I ask right now that whoever's in this room that doesn't know you personally, Lord, that you would save them that you would regenerate their heart, that you would remove the heart of stone that exists and replace it with the heart of flesh. Lord, we pray that you would provide the faith that's needed. Lord, I pray that they would see your grace, that no one would leave here not knowing that they're part of your family. Lord, give them courage and boldness to ask questions. Give them humility to understand that they need a Savior. And Lord, for your church, Lord, forgive us for misrepresenting you at times. Forgive us for forgetting that you're good. Forgive us for forgetting that you're to be feared. 
Lord, create in your church the ability to balance who you truly are in our lives and to live it out. So Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would convict us where we need to be convicted to give us the grace that we need to make the changes that are necessary. And most importantly, Lord, that we would find ourselves in positions to truly hear from you and desire to hear from you. So Lord, do a work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.